God, just as Andy reminded us that um, perfect love drives out fear. And so, God, it's your perfect love, your unrelenting grace that has prompted you, compelled you to speak to us by your word, to send your son, Jesus, to die in our place and to rise again and conquer death on our behalf. It's your perfect grace that has given us the gift of prayer that we're going to talk about today, opportunity to communicate with you. God, you were under no obligation or compulsion. No one forced you to be good to us. You simply decided to do so because of your character. And so we are absolutely overwhelmed with gratitude today that there is nothing to fear. Speak to us, O God, now through your word. In the name of Christ, the people of God, with enthusiasm said, amen. I, um, I googled uh, famous last words this week. If you're ever looking for something fun to do with your spouse and family on a Friday night, do that. It was a ton of fun. I wanted to share a couple of my favorites with you, famous last words. On her way to the guillotine, Marie Antoinette uh, stepped on her executioner's foot. Marie Antoinette's last words literally were, pardon me, sir, but she said it in French and no one wants to hear my French. A jazz drummer named Buddy Rich died after surgery in 1987. As he was being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? Buddy Rich said, yeah, country music. Um, you couldn't take country music. That was some of it. It'll, 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 it'll land here in about five minutes. Johnny Ace is an R&B singer, died in 1954. He was playing with a pistol during a break in a concert set. His last words, and I quote, I'll show you that it won't shoot. Apparently it did. John Wayne died in, 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 at 72 in Los Angeles. His wife actually came into the room where he was on his deathbed and asked if John Wayne knew who she was because mentally he was kind of, you know, at, at the end there. And his last words were, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. John Wayne's last words. That one's good. Playwright named Wilson Meisner was on his deathbed. A priest came in to visit and said, I'm sure you want to talk to me. Meisner's last words were, why should I talk to you? I've just been talking with your boss. I love that. Do you know that the Bible records Jesus' last words? Jesus' last words, the last thing he uttered was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, it is finished on the cross. But really, Jesus' last words begin in John chapter 13 because the evening before his crucifixion, he knew he was going to die. Like he knew his time had come. He knew he would rise again and ascend to the right hand of the Father. But, but his time on earth, his ministry was coming to a close. And famous last words can be famous because they're funny, because they're quirky, because they're enlightening. In Jesus' case, his last words were famous because they reveal the secret to spiritual life. In his famous last words, Jesus, picture him grabbing his disciples on their face and pulling them in close and saying, if you've heard nothing else in these last three years, you have got to hear this. This is really important. And in the middle of those famous last words, Jesus looks at his disciples and says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. These past couple weeks, we've been uh, quoting together and repeating a few phrases that reflect the truth that Jesus communicates to his disciples there in John 15, 1 and 2, and we're going to do it again today. In fact, we're going to do it every Sunday during this series, The Trellis and the Vine, so just get prepared. So here we go. Repeat after me. This is the truth that Jesus is communicating to his disciples in John 15, 1 and 2. Repeat after me. I'm a branch... My job is to bear fruit. Jesus is the vine. He gives me life. The Father is the vine dresser. He prunes me so that I bear fruit. And because a grapevine and its branches grow best on a trellis, because grapevines are climbing vines, our goal in this series has, begin, has, has been to create for ourselves a sort of spiritual trellis, a, a support structure on which our spiritual life can cling. And that spiritual trellis is made up of spiritual habits, practices, exercises like fasting, like Bible reading, like prayer that we're going to talk about today. And our goal each week has been to learn one spiritual practice and then establish one fact about a trellis that might help us understand what those spiritual practices are meant to do. So if you remember two weeks ago, we established that nobody cares how pretty your trellis is, right? The fine dresser does not care how pretty your trellis is. In in other words, what what the Bible is saying is that uh, spiritual practices aren't there for us to look good on the outside. So people look at our life and go, wow, isn't that great that they fast, that they read the Bible, that they pray. We don't care how pretty your trellis is. We care that our trellis serves a purpose. It functions as a support structure on which our spiritual life can cling. And then last week, we declared together that a spiritual trellis is not meant to weigh us down. It's always meant to lift us up. It's never meant to weigh us down. So Bible reading, fasting, and prayer, those aren't supposed to be heavy burdens We want to walk in discipleship under Rabbi Jesus and the school of Rabbi Jesus. Spiritual discipleship under Rabbi Jesus is an easy yoke. And our trellis fact today, trellis fact number three here, might be a challenge for some of us. Because it stands in stark contradiction to modern culture. And in reality, it stands in stark contradiction to the natural state of our own hearts. So we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking uh, trellis fact number three here and the meaning. Because I think it's really critical as we build for ourselves a, a support structure or a trellis onto which our spiritual life can cling. Look up here on the screen. Trellis fact number three. The trellis is rigid... The branches are flexible. The trellis is rigid. The branches are flexible. Look up here at this trellis that I've got up here. Some of you guys may have a tough time seeing it over there. Our lines of sight are a little tough, I know. But imagine if this trellis that's supporting this vine and its branches, imagine if it was like made of jello or something. I love jello, so I'd be fine with that, but it would not function as a trellis anymore, would it? 
A trellis needs to be rigid. A trellis needs to have structure. A trellis needs to be defined in order to accomplish its purpose. Since the trellis provides support and structure for the branches, the trellis cannot move. Imagine if these branches were trying to cling to this trellis and grow, and every day the trellis was moving back and forth. Not only would it negate the purpose of a trellis, but it would actually destroy the branches or damage the branches. The branches grow in and out of the trellis, and they cling to whichever section they need to to grow, but the trellis stays put. It's rigid. Here's what this means for our spiritual life. Spiritual growth... Bearing fruit does not happen by accident. You and I aren't just going to wake up one morning and go, oh my gosh, I'm bearing spiritual fruit. Look at that. It doesn't happen on accident. Spiritual development requires careful forethought, planning, and dare I say it, discipline. (laughs) Our trellis needs to be rigid. Yes, our spiritual life is organic and flexible, but our support structure, our spiritual habits and practices and exercises require rigidity and structure. Now, I I want you to watch this unfold biblically so I'm not just, you know, I'm just not blowing smoke here. Look up here on the screen. In his biography of Jesus, Luke writes this in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. He says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now look, Jesus is actually practicing two of the spiritual disciplines that we're talking about in this series. We're talking about prayer today, and he's withdrawing to lonely places, so he's talking about solitude and silence. We're going to talk about those in a couple weeks. But before we go further, here's where I want you to focus today. It's on this word often right here. Often, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places in order to pray. In the original language, this phrase, Jesus often withdrew, is three Greek words. Those Greek words are autos, a me, and hypohreo. And you don't, there's no quiz, okay? So the literal translation of those three Greek words is he himself withdrew. He himself withdrew. Withdrew. So when Luke uses this language, he's telling us two things. One, Jesus did not accidentally end up praying alone. He withdrew himself. He did it on purpose. Number two, the tense of that verb withdrew carries with it the implication that this was a regular occurrence or a habit for Jesus to withdraw and pray alone. Hence the reason that modern translators add that word often because the tense of the verb withdrew carries with it that implication. Luke is telling us that solitude and prayer were a part of Jesus' regularly scheduled programming. For Jesus, engaging in spiritual practices, in this case prayer and solitude, were part of his planned life rhythm. They were not accidental. They were intentional. They were not haphazard. They were organized. Even Jesus had a rigid trellis. You see it? Okay, so in his letter to Timothy, 
Paul uses a different metaphor to encourage his young disciple, Timothy, to establish for himself a rigid trellis, habits, customs, and practices that don't move and change. He he, he encouraged him to, to kind of establish a life rhythm. And here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Godliness is the fruit that you and I are supposed to bear. When we said, I'm a branch, my job is to bear fruit, that fruit is godliness. But that doesn't come on accident. You have to train yourself. You have to establish a disciplined life routine that includes spiritual practices. And Paul doesn't just say train yourself for godliness. Look look who Paul compares us to. He says to Timothy, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. That Greek word, um, train, by the way, when he says train yourself for godliness, the original Greek word is where we get our word gym or gymnasium from. Paul is saying to Timothy, do you want to get spiritually fit? Do you want to bear the fruit of godliness? You have to train like an athlete trains. You have to discipline yourself. This is not about legalism. This is not about impressing God. It's simply about establishing a rigid spiritual trellis onto which our life as a branch can cling. For those of you uh, who aren't NBA fans or Um, have been living under a rock for like the past 10 years. There's a guy named LeBron James that plays in the NBA. Have you heard of the LeBron? Have you heard of him? He's he's pretty good at basketball. In fact, LeBron is really, 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 really good at basketball. And if he decided to play in the NFL, he'd be really, really, really good at football too because he's like the size of Goliath. I'm not kidding you. So LeBron is at the pinnacle of his career. He's in the best shape of his life and he could likely play just about any sport he wanted to professionally he's an absolute stout I mean he's just crazy he's I mean he's 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 it's majestic to watch the man play basketball it really is so last year during the NBA finals some of you might have seen this on Twitter when uh, SportsCenter tweeted an image of LeBron's schedule for his day off did anybody else see this I want you to know, this is what LeBron does on his day off. And I'm not kidding. It's up here on the screen. He gets up and he rides the stationary bike for 30 minutes. He eats a clean breakfast. He takes 45 minutes to rehydrate. He practices with the team. After practice, he sits in a cold tub for an hour. He gets a massage. He he stretches with specialized equipment. Then he does muscle stimulation. Then he takes a three-hour nap. Then he gets another massage, has cryotherapy, has dinner, then watches film before bed, and that's just his day off. I actually ran into LeBron down in Yorkville one time. Not kidding. I was, I was at, I was at uh, dinner with a buddy. I ran into LeBron, and I asked him to take a picture with me, and he said no. Apparently, he does not know who I am, <laughs> you know? Either, either that or he couldn't fit me in between massages. I don't know. Um, Here's the deal. Paul did not know what LeBron's day off routine was. Okay, this is 2,000 years ago. But if Paul was around today, he would look at LeBron's day off and go, you've got to train like that. Spiritually speaking, you've got to do that. 
You've got to train for godliness the way LeBron trains for basketball. Discipline yourself. Establish a pattern, a rigid trellis. Jesus did it. Paul encouraged Timothy to do it. And the early church fathers even did it. They called it a rule of life. The early church fathers did. They called it a rule of life. And by rule, they didn't mean rules that you abide by or regulations. They meant daily habits, regular practices. A rule of life was a consistent rhythm that formed their spiritual trellis. So here's what I want to encourage you to do today, and then we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. Today I want to encourage you to add rigidity to your spiritual trellis by forming your own rule of life. In all honesty, you probably already have a rule of life. Perhaps it includes spiritual practices and spiritual exercises, spiritual habits. Perhaps it doesn't include those things, but you've got a rule of life. You've got a daily pattern of some kind and a weekly pattern of some kind that you live by. For example, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Yep, it's the same thing every week, isn't it? Every week. We wake up once a week, apparently. It's the same thing every day. How about, do you drive a different route to work or the same route? Do we say route in Canada or route? Route. Do you, do you drive different roads uh, or the same roads? I don't know about you. Sometimes I commute by memory. You, do you ever do that? And you realize, like, I just got on the freeway and I'm not supposed to be on the freeway, you know? Because I just, I drive that same commute every week. I do the same thing every day. Do you arrive at work and leave work at consistent times? Do you dress like a hippie one day and then wear a tux the next day? Or does your wardrobe have a bit of a pattern to it, a bit of consistency to it? Do you have a consistent date night with your spouse? Do you take the same days off every week, Saturday and Sunday, some of you, most of you? Or do you take different days off every week? Do you have some patterns that you abide by? Do you brush your teeth every day, please? then you've got a rule of life. You've got patterns. You've got rhythms. My guess is that if you examined your life, you would find some consistent patterns of behavior. It's a rule of life. That's what that is. So my encouragement for you today is to firmly situate spiritual habits within that life pattern. Create for yourself a rigid spiritual trellis onto which your spiritual life can cling. Now, everybody's rule of life is different. Everybody's life pattern and life rhythm is different. So I can't really give you suggestions as to where you might want to incorporate some spiritual habits over the course of your day, week, month, and year. I can only give you a couple of examples of choices that I've made in order to add consistency and rigidity to my spiritual trellis and establish a bit of a habit for myself. I'm going to give you three examples. Maybe they're helpful for you, maybe not. Okay, the first thing is I do this. I take a Sabbath. I take a Sabbath. Uh, my Sabbath is not Sunday. I, I, this is a work day for me. Some of you think, you know, it's not a work day. Try preaching. Um, you'll, you'll know it's a work day. And then I'm in the office Monday through Thursday. All day Saturday, I write my sermon. And on Friday, I take a Sabbath. I hang with Kaya. I hang with Amy, we go to the store, I spend time in quiet, I walk with my dog, I take a Sabbath. It's part of my rule of life. It's every Friday. It's part of my normal weekly rhythm and pattern. 
Second thing I do is I create silence for myself. Um, I love to talk. I don't know if you knew that. I just absolutely love the sound of my own voice. I think it's angelic. Um, and a little nasal as well, but that's angels are nasal. You, 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 I don't know if you knew that. I'll prove it to you biblically. Um, not really. <laughs> so I, I create silence for myself. I, I, love, I love the radio on in the car. I, I love kind of listening to music all the time. So here's what I do in kind of my normal life pattern and my normal daily routine. I turn off the radio in the car most of the time. When I'm by myself, I create silence for myself. The other thing that I don't like uh, is, is space in my life. I like people a lot. I like being around people. I like being around a lot of people. So if I just kind of went willy-nilly and I didn't have a rigid trellis and I, and I didn't create discipline and structure in my own life, I would be around people all the time. And when I say people, I mean Amy. I would be around Amy all the time. Amy's glad that I have to go to the office because she's like, thank you. You are, you are on my nerves all the time. So because I just, I want to be around her, I want to talk to her. So if I don't do this, if I don't, if I don't put rigidity in my spiritual trellis, if I don't create space in my rule of life, I'll never get it. But we just read that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Oh man, yikes. So I've got to create that in my week. I've got to put rigidity in my daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly spiritual trellis and life pattern, rule of life, behaviors in order to create rigidity in my spiritual trellis. Those are three things that I do. Up to you what you do. But we've got a lot of options now, don't we? And we're building one at a time of different spiritual practices that you can engage in. Where do you need to add rigidity and consistency in your spiritual trellis? So here, here's the deal. I'm exhorting you this morning to establish consistency and rhythm and rigidity because if you don't, the thing that's going to fall through the cracks is going to be prayer, 95% of the time. For some of you, you don't need kind of a life rhythm that includes prayer because you just kind of pray all the time, and that's great. That's okay. But for many of us, if we don't program prayer into our life, if we don't establish it as a habit, we're not going to do it, are we? Right? So it's just going to fall through the cracks. So the, the, our trellis fact today, number three, correlates with this spiritual practice of prayer. If you don't discipline yourself to pray, you simply will not pray. That's all there is to it. And prayer is at the heart of the Christian life and experience. And if Christianity is what we purport it to be, a relationship, and it is, by the way, a relationship, then we must pray. Because prayer is simply talking to God. Could you imagine a marriage where a husband and wife never communicated? Not a healthy marriage. Same is true with God. In order to maintain a healthy relationship with Him, we must communicate on a regular basis. A uh, former lead pastor of this uh, community of faith, Avenue Road Church, before now Bayview Glen Church, a guy named A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, prayer at its best is the expression of the total life. I'm going to read that again. That's so good. Prayer at its best 
is the expression of the total life. As we talk about our life in Jesus and renewal in him and the vine giving us life, prayer is the expression of the total life. Uh, A guy named J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite theologians, wrote this. He says, a habit of prayer is one of the surest marks of a true Christian. A habit of prayer is one of the surest marks of a true Christian. Uh, One of my favorite theologians underscores the value of daily and weekly prayer, regular prayer. He wrote this, we have got to pray just to make it today. That theologian, of course, is M.C. Hammer. I don't know if you know that theologian. Do you? Do you know that theologian? That's what happens, by the way, when you become a good theologian. You get two initials and then a last name. A.W. Tozer, J.C. Ryle, M.C. Hammer. We talked about last week some of the similar reasons, or some of the reasons that we don't always read Scripture, right? I don't know how, where do I start, those types of things. So today, I want to unpack those same reasons because those same reasons are the reasons why we don't pray. We, We have not excuses, but just things that get in the way, things that become a challenge for us when it when it comes to engaging in a regular habit of prayer. And so what I want to do is take those four reasons, those four hurdles, and give you some really practical tools as to how you might address those reasons that you don't pray in your own life. The first reason is this. I don't know how. I don't know how. If you are brand new to faith, and I know so many of you are, if you're just exploring things of God, if you've only been a Christian for a year, two, three years, prayer is something that you develop over time. It's not something that we get good at on day one. And so if you say to yourself, I don't know how to pray, or I'm not as good at prayer as I'd like to be, welcome to the club. I mean, this is just kind of a normal thing for us to not know how to pray. And so I, I, I wonder if people read the Bible sometimes, people that struggle with prayer and say, wow, don't you wish someone would have asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. I don't know how to pray. Would you teach me how to pray? The great news is somebody did. In Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus responded, pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil we could spend a year talking about the Lord's Prayer. We could spend five years talking about the Lord's Prayer. But for those of you who say, I don't know how to pray, I want to point out two things in the Lord's Prayer that might help you to engage in in prayer with God and and help you kind of shape that time so that you walk out of this place and go, wow, I, I actually do know how to pray. There's really two sections to the Lord's Prayer. Here's section number one is all about posture. Section number one is all about posture. Look at, look at what Jesus is telling his disciples. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is really all about God, isn't it? It's really all about God. It's really all about coming to our heavenly Father. Jesus uses Abba here, by the way, the, the Aramaic word for like daddy, familiarity with God. And he, and he comes to God and he says, I just want to make sure my heart posture is right. This is all about you. This is all about your kingdom. This is all about your will. Hallowed be your name. For those of you who don't know how to pray, the first step is a right heart posture before God. It's a right heart posture before God. And then look at the second half of the Lord's Prayer. It's all about petition. Look at this. It's all about coming to God with those things that are on your heart for your own life. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Do you see it? It's all about what I'm bringing to God. I'm bringing my confession to God. I'm bringing my need for daily bread to God. And note that when Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, pray then like this. He's not saying repeat this phrase. Memorize it and then just, and then just repeat it back. Regurgitate it. Repeat it back verbatim. He's saying this is a pattern. This is a shape of your prayer life. For those of you who say, I don't know how to pray, simply two things posture and petition posture and petition a right heart posture before God God you are God I am not you are great you are holy you are gracious you are exalted you are lifted up if you don't know all those character traits about God go back and listen to um to uh our sermon on on the character of God a sermons on the character of God from earlier this year but bring a heart posture before God. God, you're lifted up. God, you're glorious. God, you're majestic. God, you're creative. And then bring whatever needs that you want to before God. In fact, just after this prayer, Jesus says, who of you, if your child came to you and asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a rock? If, if your child asked for an egg, would you give him a snake? Your kid comes to you and says, Daddy, Daddy, I'd like scrambled eggs for breakfast. Cool, here's a cobra. That's not how that works. And Jesus says, you're kind of messed up people. But your heavenly Father is perfect. He gives good gifts. So bring your petition to him. Posture your heart before him and then bring it to him. It doesn't matter what you bring to it. God, I need forgiveness. God, I need provision. God, I need help in my job. God, I need help in my marriage. God, I need help in my relationships. It's not complicated. Posture and petition. The second uh, reason I think that we don't pray, and same, re same reasons that we don't always read Scripture as much as we would like to, is that we don't quite know where to start. We don't quite know where to start. And so for some of you who have been around church a long time, you know this acronym that I'm about to share, but for some of you who may be new to prayer or new to church, I want to share with you an acronym that might be kind of a pattern for coming to God. And that, that acronym is ACTS. It's ACTS. Some, how many of you have used this before in your own prayer life? How many of you? I, I love this acronym. I still use this. I learned it when I was like eight years old, but I still use this. Now, now watch. If you don't know where to start in prayer, start with ACTS. 
Start with Acts. For those of you who have been believers a long time, for those of you who, who you're like, yeah, I kind of know this acronym. Give me something new. I'll get there in a minute. Okay, don't panic. I'll get there. But, but for those of you who don't know where to start in prayer, start with Acts. The first letter is adoration. Adoration. Do you see the heart posture here? I'm not going to come to God with, with, with all the things that I've got going on in the day. I'm not going to come to God in panic mode. I'm not going to come to God with all my requests. I know he wants to hear them, but I'm going to start by adoring God. God, I love you. Like, if, you're, if you like to sing, like, sing these adorations. Sing your praise to God. Sing some of the songs we sing around here. Great are you, Lord. I lift you up. You are holy, 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 and adore God. For those of you who know this acronym, say, say, say the C with me. What's the C? Confession, right? Confession. Confession is simply agreeing with God about your own sin. It's coming to God and saying, yeah, I know my thought life is a little wacky, a lot wacky. Yeah, I know I, I acted out in anger with my kids. Yeah, I know I didn't do my best at work and your word commands me to, you know, everything I do, whether in word or in deed, to do it all for the glory of God. And that really didn't bring you glory when I kind of cut corners there. God, I I know I'm prayerless sometimes. I agree with you. I bring those sins to you in confession. And I agree with you that I'm, I'm not perfect and I need you. And then you claim 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, which we just did, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it moves the segue into thanksgiving is really easy. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for cleansing me for all unrighteousness. Thank you for providing daily bread. Thank you for a church that I love most of the time. Thank you for my family and my kids that I love most of the time. Thank you all of the time, please. Thank you for the ways that you've blessed me. Thank you for your provision. Thank you, God. This is all about adoration. Is all about who God is. This is all about what he's done. This is all about who God is, his character that never changes. This is about all, all about what he's done. And then the final uh, letter, S, is supplication. Supplication. It's a fancy word for bringing your request to God, petitioning God, saying, God, I've got some needs in my life. You know, I, I need wisdom on this particular issue. I, I'm facing a decision or a choice. I need you, God. God, I, I need you in my family. I need you in my marriage. God, I'm struggling with an addiction. I need you. God, I don't know uh, what's next for me in my career. I need you. God, I, I'm having a difficult time knowing how to love my spouse well or love my kids well. I need you. God, I bring my requests to you. Third reason that we don't pray sometimes is because it's inconvenient. At least it feels inconvenient. Can I just encourage you this morning and exhort you this morning that prayer is the most convenient thing you can possibly do? There's, there's, we've talked about this before and I, 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 my, my bottom line truth in a sermon one time was I can, I can pray anywhere about anything or I pray anywhere about, uh, anywhere at any time, anywhere at any time. And Dave Lewis, I loved it, he added about anything. Prayer is the most convenient thing you can do. You can pray anywhere, anytime, about anything. Notice that when Jesus' disciples come to him and say, 
teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus does not teach them the posture of prayer because any posture, body, physical posture will do. Because people pray in the Bible standing, lifting up their hands, sitting, lying down, kneeling, lifting their eyes towards heaven, bowing and pounding their chest. God doesn't teach us the place to pray because any place will do. People in the Bible pray during battle. They pray in a cave, in a closet, in a garden, on a mountainside, by a river, by the sea, in the street, in Hades, in bed, in a home, in a prison, at work, in the wilderness, and inside a fish. God does not tell us when to pray because any time will do. People in the Bible are found praying in the morning, in the mid-morning, in the evening, three times a day, before meals, after meals, at bedtime, at midnight, and day and night. People pray when they're young, when they're old, when they're in trouble, every day and always, in any posture, at any time, in any place, under all circumstances, prayer is good and needed in the life of a Christian. It is rather convenient. (laughs) Fourth reason why we don't pray is that sometimes it gets boring. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we go to God we start to pray and our mind drifts off, you know what I mean? And we kind of, you know, the next thing you know, you're thinking about, you know, who the Blue Jays going to draft and that kind of stuff or whatever it is. Or sometimes you start to get into prayer and it's like, man, I feel like I've maybe hit this plateau with God a little bit and I, I want to go deeper into my prayer life, but I'm not quite sure how. And it's kind of gotten stale a little bit. I want to give you four quick suggestions of how you might break through that kind of hurdle, break through that wall, break through that threshold, and bring vitality back to your prayer life. Here we go. We'll conclude with this. Pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. For some of you, we talked about Scripture last week, and you decided to start with the Psalms. Did anybody do that? Start with the Psalms? Nice, good. This summer, we're going to preach through the entire, not the entire book, many of the Psalms throughout the summer here. So you'll be ahead of us. It'll be great. So if you go to the Psalms and let that inspire your prayer life, read the Psalms and use that language and just pray through the Psalms. It will bring vitality back to your prayer life. Number two, up here on the screen, journal journal. Uh, it's, it's a way to keep record of what you're praying about and, and where you're seeing God answering your prayers. Nothing is so anti-boring as God answering a prayer, right? If you're, if you're bored with your prayer life, start to journal. I personally am not a journaler. I, I, I don't do that. So here's, here's a bigger way to say that, a different way to say that. Keep track. Keep track of your prayer life. Uh, put pictures up on your refrigerator that remind you to pray. And as you keep track of God's answers, just jot those things down. Put them on sticky notes on your refrigerator. Put a little prayer board in your house or in your kid's room. Put a little prayer board at your desk at work. Open up an Evernote or, or a note on your phone and begin to write down your prayer requests and then write down where you see God answering and how you might be hearing the voice of God. Nothing brings vitality back to a prayer life like keeping track of the ways that God is answering. Three, meditate. Meditate. I want to talk to you just a little bit real quickly about the difference between Christian meditation and Eastern meditation because there is a difference. If some of you come from uh, Eastern religion background, uh, Taoism, Buddhism, something like that, you, you come from that background, and the nature of meditation in those faith practices 
it, 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 this is a very simple way to put it, but it, it, it's really emptying your mind of, of all things. Emptying your mind of all things. And, and Christian meditation is different. Christian meditation is emptying your mind and then filling it with God. You see the difference? It's not just an empty brain. God wants you to engage your brain. That's why in Philippians 4, Paul says to us, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever's trustworthy, whatever is upright, think on these things. Ponder these things. So if your prayer life has grown a little bit stale, the next time you go to God, don't come with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Don't even come to him with a lot of words. Come to him and just sit before him. Find a quiet, distraction-free place. When I do this, personally, I like to take um, my, my phone. I turn my phone off. But I take my phone because sometimes tasks will come into my head and I can write them down and get them out of my head so I'm not distracted by the task. Does that make sense? Bring a piece of paper or a pencil or, and a pencil to write those things down so that as you just sit before the Lord and allow him to fill your mind with truth, not empty your mind, but fill it with him and just simply meditate before God. Be still and know that he is God. When the tasks of the day and the grocery list and the things you need to do at work start to flood your mind, jot them down and set them aside and just sit before God in quiet. Fourth way, Fourth way to bring vitality back to your prayer life if it's gotten boring, pray with other people. Pray with other people. We do all church prayer here once a month. Come pray with us. Many of you are in life groups. Pray with your life groups. I know it's scary sometimes when somebody says, hey, I could use prayer for something, and you say you'll pray for them. Here's a trick. Just pray for them right then. Not say, I'll pray for you, but I'll pray for you right now in the middle of Swiss Chalet. And pray for the food while you're there as well, okay? Pray with other people. Get with other, pray with your spouse. Pray with your kids. Pray with your friends. Pray with others at church. It will bring renewal and vitality back to your prayer life. Two things today, and then we're gonna close with one of my favorite hymns that reminds us of the nearness of God and his desire to hear us in prayer. Two things, one, You've got to put rigidity in your trellis. The branches are flexible. The trellis has got to be firm. It's got to be a structure there. So establish a rule of life. Establish some patterns of behavior that include spiritual practices like prayer, Bible reading, solitude, all those things that we've been talking about. Number two, pray. Talk to him. Can I tell you this? You know that God loves to hear from you. When you bow your head in prayer, when you decide you're going to go to him with something, you know that he thinks, oh yes, I've been waiting to hear from her. I've been waiting to hear from him. He longs to hear you pray. So however you do that and wherever you are in your prayer life, incorporate some of these practices because your heavenly father longs to hear you pray, desires to hear you pray and make it a habit. I'm gonna invite Andy back up and he's gonna close with one of my favorite hymns. I hope it's one of your favorites too. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in 
prayer. Let's pray together, and then Andy's going to lead us as we close. God, we come to you in prayer now, and we adore you. You are holy. You are good. You are higher and greater. You are majestic. You are sovereign and in control. You are gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We love you. You are beautiful. You are good. You are the great I am. God, we confess our need to you together today. Confess, God, that our brains are dysfunctional. Our hearts are dysfunctional. Our motives are dysfunctional. Our attitudes and actions are dysfunctional. God, as Augustine said, if sin is the color blue, all of who we are and what we do is tinted some shade of blue. So God, we agree with you that we need you. We need the cross. We need your son. We need your grace. We need the blood of Jesus to wash us and make us new. We thank you, God, for your provision and for your grace. We thank you for this church that we love. We thank you for the people that we're sitting with this morning. Thank you, God, for the ways that you provided food on our table and clothes on our backs as Dave prayed earlier. Thank you that we continue to draw breath. Thank you for the examples of the saints that are with us and the saints who have gone before. Thank you that we can go to you in prayer anytime, any place, about anything. And God, in this moment of quiet, we come to you with our needs. All our needs are different. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Spirit of God, we come to you. Jesus, we come to you knowing that you are a good God, a good Father that longs to give us good gifts. And so we bring our requests to you. We wait on the answer, God. Whether it's yes, no, or wait, we trust you. Teach us, God, to bring everything to you in prayer as a regular part of our rule of life and our rhythm and practice. In the name of Christ, the people of God, say, Amen. Let's stand and sing as we respond.